get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. It's 8.03, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Time for a fresh take here with Carriker and Smallman. And Drew Brees kind of stepped in it yesterday, didn't he? Yeah, he made his first comments about George Floyd's murder and, and the protests and what's going on in America to Yahoo Finance. And it, uh, the criticisms came quickly, Randy. They came quickly and heavily. And the discussion revolved around the fact that Colin Kaepernick made his statement by taking a knee three years ago. And it essentially ended his career. And Breeze was asked about players taking a knee to try to affect social justice. And here's what he said. I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me Let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. A lot of NFL players, well, really athletes in general, took to social media immediately after these comments were released by Yahoo Finance to express to Dubris that it's not about your experience with the flag. It's not about what you think about when you look at the flag. We're asking you to consider that other people might have a different experience and that the flag might represent something differently for them. And Malcolm Jenkins, who is Drew Brees' teammate, took to Instagram to share some of his thoughts. He had a three-minute-plus video where he was very upset. And for those that aren't aware, I, I don't know if there is an argument. The forefront of the social justice reform movement among players in the NFL, all due respect to Colin Kaepernick, but among active players, is led by Malcolm Jenkins, right? He's kind of the face of it? Yes. So he was with Philadelphia. Now he's a teammate of Breeze as a free agent rejoining the Saints. Here we are in 2020 with the whole country on fire. Everybody witnessing a black man dying at the hand, being murdered at the hands of the police with his just in cold blood for everybody to see the whole country's on fire and the first thing that you do is criticize one's peaceful protest that was years ago when we were trying to signal uh, uh, a sign for help and signal for our allies and our white brothers and sisters the people we considered to be friends to get involved it was ignored and here we are now with the world on fire and you still continue to first criticize how we peaceful pro- how we peacefully protest because it doesn't fit in what you do and your beliefs without ever acknowledging that a fact that the man was murdered at the hands of police in front of us all and that it has been continuing for centuries that the same brothers that you break the huddle down with before every single game the same guys that you bleed with and go on a battle with every single day go home to communities that have been decimated that is uh, Malcolm Jenkins and he went on to say that uh, as a new teammate that Breeze is kind of tone deaf to what they're talking about Drew, uh, unfortunately 
Unfortunately, you're somebody who doesn't understand their privilege. You don't understand the potential that you have to actually be an advocate for the people that you call brothers. You don't understand the history and why people like me, people with my skin color, whose grandfather fought for this country, who served, and I still protested against that, against the, not against the national anthem, but against what was happening in America and what our, the fabric of this country is for or stands for. And so today, Breeze turned out a lengthy Instagram post, and I'll give you a portion of it. I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday. In speaking with some of you, it breaks my heart to know the pain I have caused. In an attempt to talk about respect, unity, and solidarity centered around the American flag and the national anthem, I made comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issues that we are facing right now as a country. They lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy. Instead, those words have become divisive and hurtful and have misled people into believing that somehow I am an enemy. This could not be further from the truth and is not an accurate reflection of my heart or my character. This is where I stand. I stand with the black community in the fight against systemic racial injustice and police brutality and support the creation of real policy change that will make a difference. I condemn the years of oppression that have taken place throughout our black communities and still exist today. I acknowledge that we as Americans, including myself, have not done enough to fight for that equality or to truly understand the struggles and the plight of the black community. And he goes on to write that uh, he will always be an ally and never an enemy. I saw last night as the fallout from this was intensifying that Diana Rossini tweeted that the Saints had a virtual meeting last night. This was scheduled two weeks ago. It wasn't planned in response to DeBreeze's comments, but they did in fact have this virtual meeting. And I, you know, when I initially saw Malcolm Jenkins' video on Instagram, he had said Drew Brees had called him, but he chose to post the video anyway because he wanted people to see what their comments, how the effect that they can have on other people. So I wonder what that virtual meeting was like and what was said given so many of, of Drew Brees' teammates speaking out very passionately about how he had offended them and that he wasn't listening to them. So I'm not surprised he he put out this statement and well I think a lot of people have probably already canceled Drew Brees. Isn't that kind of what we want is to have this dialogue and to have people listen. People want Drew Brees to listen to the black community and it seems like that's what he did. So while I think his initial comments may have offended some people, it seems like he's doing exactly what we need to do where if, if he do, doesn't understand, listen to the people around him and grow as a person. And what we have to do, and especially when you have a platform like Drew Brees has, what we have to do with our platform, what the Mizzou football team has to do with that their platform is sports is a unifying presence and Vic Fangio tried to clarify his comments yesterday by saying he doesn't see racism in the locker room and that's one of the great thing about sports is that there is no color the, the color for the Cardinals is red and white and the, the color for the Mizzou football team it's not black or white or what or brown the color is black and gold at Mizzou and I thought it was cool yesterday that in an attempt to affect change, which is what people are trying to do here, the Mizzou football team, coaches, players, uh, a support staff, they organized a walk across campus that, by the way, included the chancellor and included Conzo Martin. More than 50 people took part in the walk across campus to the courthouse where 52 players registered to vote. That's incredible to think that 
so many members of the team came together. They unified. They likely had a very um, interesting and progressive discussions about how they wanted to do this and what they wanted to do. And the fact that they landed on something so important, not only to march together, but to actually register to vote. That's what we need people yeah. to do. And when we talk about affecting actual change in this country, it's it starts with leadership and it starts with the system and the the first way to do that is through voting and putting people in office that you believe is going to get it done. And Eli Drinkwitz, who at first blush here, he's been the Mizzou coach for several months. He appears to really get it. Big fan. I yeah. am a big fan. Yeah. And it, By the way, it was 62, but his tweet was Today, we decided that action is what causes change. Our integrity is when words and actions come into alignment. So we did that. Our players led a powerful walk to the courthouse where we took a knee for 8 minutes and 46 seconds to honor the life of George Floyd and demand justice. This isn't political. It's a human rights issue. And then we registered to vote. 62 student athletes registered. Change will happen. Very impressive. So, obviously... As he puts it very well and succinctly, this is a human rights issue, and people are listening, whether they are forced to, like Drew Brees, or whether it's Eli Drinkwitz listening to his players all the time. The fact of the matter is, is that because of the injustices that are being perpetrated in our country, people that ordinarily might not listen, I'm not putting... Eli Drinkwitz in that boat, but I think a lot of people that wouldn't listen are mm-hmm. learning why Colin Kaepernick took a knee, and the people like Malcolm Jenkins are affecting change, and we want everybody to be happy and safe and to be able to lead a life. That should not be in question. Everybody should be allowed to lead a life without fear of being murdered, and that hopefully is the change that is ultimately affected. Absolutely. And one more po- point that I want to make about Coach Drinkwitz and a lot of other uh, collegiate coaches that we're seeing out there that are doing things with their players and having these conversations with their players and putting out state statements saying our team is talking about this. I know that we, we sometimes are very jaded by the collegiate athletic structure and we talk about bringing in coaches because we want wins on the field and, and not necessarily for the academics or or the other parts of being a student athlete but we have to remember these are leaders of young men that they set the example and so when you have a guy like coach Drinkwitz who hasn't even had a full season under his belt and already has done so much positivity with these young men at Mizzou to say hey we are a team I am listening let's do something together let's be an example for our community together these are young men that are going to take those lessons and they're going to enact them in their lives moving forward. And I just think it's very powerful to see a lot of college coaches who normally we only talk about them in a dollars form actually be leaders. And one other point here, as you look at a photo of that walk, social distancing and they're all wearing masks. All the Mizzou football players are wearing masks. Again, very impressive. Props to to Mizzou and Coach Drinkwitz. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> See, Randy, we can all come together. Yes, apparently Unity we can. Is impo- and this is from someone who de- not one cell in my body identifies with Missouri. I am Team Illinois through and through. But again, respect where it's due. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's your fresh take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk about the Blues getting back into action with our friend Bernie Federko as we head into the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. 
This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. The home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. We do head into the Blues booth, and our friend, the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, joins us on 101 ESPN. Of course, Bernie is an analyst on FS Midwest and one of our favorite athletes ever in St. Louis. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Randy. How about you guys? Everything's good here. I want to start with this because the players, they know they're coming back, but they don't know when they're coming back. Can you take us into the mind of a player, How, whether or not there's any frustration, whether it's going to be, what, July 10th, July 30th? You don't know. Is there any consternation there? I don't think so right now. I mean, I think that they're probably now starting to get more in the uh, get-in-shape, very good-shape mode. I think they're probably doing more things. Uh, they're, they're probably sat around a little bit, but I think that these guys all are all so used to working out. They all have personal trainers and this and that, so I'm sure that they're just kind of like ramping up a little bit more. But I think there's probably some a little bit of uh, stress that was going on is that, you know, when do you want to peak? What What's the right time to peak? Because if you don't know if you're going to be back July 15th or August, I mean, you don't want to get, you know, in peak shape too quickly because then kind of, I think it, it kind of maybe lasts too long for you. You need to have some, you know, type of breaks during the year. So uh, there probably is a little concern with that. But I think they're probably just excited to know that it looks like that they are going to play. And I think they certainly want to finish the year. Speaking of the win, Bernie, we had Gary Bettman come out and and talk about progress and some of the uh, requirements that would be in place for hockey to come back. And it seemed like hockey took a big step forward. Everyone got really excited. But then there's been this silence period where we haven't really heard a lot. And I, I, I don't know whether I should take the silence as a positive, meaning they're talking about this behind closed doors and we're going to get a firm date soon. Or if that should make me nervous that we haven't heard more publicly from the NHL about a firm return date. Well, I don't know how to answer that because <laughs> I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I think that there's lots of things that still have to be worked out. Um, I think one of the issues uh, has been, you know, the quarantine for, I mean, are you going to be able to be away from your families for three months? I mean, that's certainly a possibility. If you're going to go all the way two and a half months, it might be before you can all end it. It's pretty difficult to stay away from your families if that's going to be the case. But, I mean, I think that there's just so much uncertainty still. I, I don't think that uh, everybody understands what's going to happen with the coronavirus. Is it going to go away? Is it going to, um, you know, during the summer, is it going to be put to an end? Is there going to be less uh, uh, having, you know, problems with it? And maybe there, people could put their mind at, at, at ease that it's not going to spread during the summer. But I think that there's too many un, unknowns with this. But uh, uh, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, is this, uh, why can't they come up with a date? But I think they can't come up with a date because I think it's still up to the you know, the health officials to, to, to make uh, uh, the course known before they can even really set a date. The Hall of Famer, Bernie Federko, with us on 101 ESPN. Bernie, I, I want to, uh, this is a question I've actually wanted to ask you for a long time, and we've never gotten around to it, but you played in an incredible era of hockey. When you, when you got started, uh, the Canadians were great. Then you go into that Islanders dynasty and just a few years into your career, Gretzky gets started and you played against so many other Hall of Famers. Uh, 
Who was the most impressive guy that you played against where you finished the game and you said, boy, that was a real chore. Playing against him, he's really good. Well, what's interesting, Randy, is that we really, you know, when you, as a scorer as I was, I mean, I played against the checkers for the most part. I mean, I think that we always found the same thing. We, if, if, you know, when we were playing against Gretzky, it was either Larry Fady was playing against him or it would be Ricky Mahar in, in the later years. So it's kind of like we had checkers and, you know, I played against the, the checking line. Uh, against the other teams, so it kind of was a little different. But just you know, watching, I mean, there's no, there's no question. What, you know, what Wayne did, what that Edmonton Oilers team did was was incredible. But I think the one guy that I think that was really a great two way player that you know is a Hall of Famer and certainly deserves to be Brian Trotje. I mean, uh, the way that Trotz played, you know, in, in the island, you know, he could check, he could, you know, he was a scorer, he could do kind of all the things that he needed to do. So I think you know, when you look at you know, an all-round player. I mean, he was one of those guys that I always really admired um, the way that he played and the way the Islanders played. So, I mean, yeah, Everton Oilers were, were just a dynamic team. They they could score at will. But, I mean, the, the, I think the Islanders were, were much more of a of a two-way, uh, you know, grind-out team, like kind of the Blues were last year when winning the Cup. So, uh, but Brian Trotsky was one of those guys that I really kind of, I thought was, you know, always one of the, the best two-way players in the game. Bernie, speaking of, of the Blues and the Cup, we've been reminiscing the Blues' run to their first Stanley Cup championship here on 101 ESPN, the Play Gloria series. And we're hearing Game 5 of the Stanley Cup final, I believe, tonight. And Randy and I were going back and reading articles about that game. The Blues defeated the Bruins 2-1 Game 5 at TD Garden. And this was when they headed back to St. Louis and they had the chance to win on home ice. And I remember at the time thinking, well, I thought it would be such a perfect storybook ending for the Blues to do it in St. Louis. They had kind of struggled on home ice, especially in the, in the Stanley Cup final, and I just w- wonder if you remember how you were feeling at that time, if you thought the Blues were going to get it done in Game 6, or if you thought it was going to go to 7 games. Well, I think I was like everybody else. There, there was a lot of uh, elation in my in my mind, because I thought that, hey, what an opportunity, uh, you know, to win that Game 5 and then come back to Game 6 here in St. Louis. And I, I mean, uh, just the hoopla that was going on here, I mean, what tickets were going for Astronomical prices. If everybody wanted to be a part of, uh, the, you know, the kind of game that the Blues were going to clinch the Stanley Cup, but uh, I think that just goes to show how hard it is. I mean, when your backs are against the wall, certain things can you, you never know. Can you can't really get a, an honest answer, or you can't really get an honest feel what's going to really happen. I mean, the Bruins had a hell of a game there in Game Six, and I think that the Blues after that. Uh, everybody felt that they had no chance going to Boston to win Game Seven, but uh, I think that's just the, the beauty of sports. Uh, that uh, you know, you have a big save by a goaltender at, at the right time, or uh, you get a power play goal early, or you do something early that to, to really uh, make the guys uh, on the bench, everybody come alive, or everybody on the other bench you know, put their heads down. So uh, I was very disappointed because I thought it would have been a fantastic way to end things was to win Game Six, but. Uh, as it turned out, we had to wait till Game Seven, but they did get the job done. And it is phenomenal to think about. Just going back a year, and Michelle and I were talking about this the other morning that you each team won a home game, but the other five games were won on the road, which is seems so counterintuitive for the NHL that you'd have that energy and you'd have that uh, that comfort level of being at home. But like we've heard so many times, you play a road game. There is such thing as a good perfect road game in the NHL. Well, there's less there's less stress on you when you're on the road. I mean, there there's no question the guys are all together. I mean, the home team seems to have to be the team that has to impress. They're the ones that have to keep come out and and really with guns blazing. And I think that's when you're on the road, you kind of just have that 
attitude that you're just going to be just focused on one thing. You're going to play your game plan, whether it's going to be a boring game, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's what kind of happens. And I think you see it more and more. I mean, I think we saw it even in the Dallas series. I mean, what the Blues won, what, three of the games in Dallas as well in that, in that seven-game series or two of them. I mean, they, the road team has to win nowadays, and I think we're seeing more and more of it. And I think it really is because uh, the atmosphere is that just, hey, guys, well, the pressure's on them. They're the home team. They have to win. They've got home ice advantage, and we're just going to go in there and play our game and be rock solid and don't do anything fancy in the chance that we're going to win. Lennon. I always look at all the buildings now. There's really no, every ice service, I mean, if you go back to our old days, I mean, uh, if I call it olden days, I mean, we had, every building was kind of a little different. I mean, the ice services were, I mean, some of the boards were uh, more egg-shaped, uh, you know, some of the buildings, some of the, you know, the uh, uh, neutral zone was bigger in some as, as opposed to others. Well, now everything is so standard now. I mean, all every rink is 200 by 85. Uh, every building looks the same. I mean, uh, other than the, the color of the seats and, 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 and the, you know, the, the gravity of the crowd, everything's the same. So I think that really has a factor nowadays, too, is that the guys just say, hey, we're just, you know, we're in a nice hotel. We may as well just enjoy what we're doing and go out there and win a game. So it's really, I, I think, not that much of a, of a points advantage anymore. That's a great point. I never thought of that. Bernie, it's always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. Have a great day. Enjoy some golf, hopefully, and we'll see you soon. Randy and Michelle, I'll try to do my best. Golf kind of is out for me right now. I got a bad back. So I, I don't know when I'll play again, but uh, I, I'm going to be missing it until I, I get a chance to do that. All right. Well, take care of yourself. All right. Thanks. You guys take care. Thank you, Bernie. The great Bernie Federico, the Hall of Famer, with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Troy is going for a shot at the Fight Hall of Fame next on 101 ESPN. Think you can beat down Character? We sure hope you can. The Fight with Character, brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Kara Grins Moment here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.33, and it is time for the fight, but it's not just any fight. We have a Hall of Fame fight on deck for you today. Before we welcome in our challenger, Collins here. Colin, what are we playing for today? Well, since Troy is going for the Hall of Fame, today's prize will be eligible for our listeners to win via our online stream at 101ESPN.com. The prize is a four-person pass to throw axes, knives, and a custom spear lane at the Axle, located in Collinsville, Illinois, open now. It's the St. Louis area's premier axe-throwing venue. All right, as we mentioned, Troy is here with us. He has defeated Randy twice, which means this is his third fight versus Randy. And if he wins today, he is going to the very exclusive Fight Hall of Fame. And actually, the first he could be the first Hall of Famer for the fight on Carriker and Smallman. So, Troy, after I laid all that out, no pressure. It's not like you have a lot on the line here. <laughs> Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Troy. This is like Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. You know, you either Absolutely. go home sad Absolutely. or immortality, all right? Absolutely, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Question number one, Troy. On this day in 1959, Bob Gibson threw the first complete game of his career. How many complete games did he throw in his career? Was it 210, 238, or 255? I'm going to go with... 255. Question number two. On this day in 2012, the Cardinals drafted Michael Waka 19th overall in the MLB draft. Where was Michael Waka born? Is it Texas, Iowa, or Oklahoma? Oklahoma. 
Question number three. Tony La Russa played in six major league seasons with three different teams. Which team did he end his major league playing career with? Was it the Chicago Cubs, the Oakland Athletics, or the Atlanta Braves? I'm going to go with the Oakland A's. And question number four, Troy. Where did Russell Wilson attend college before transferring to Wisconsin for his final season of college football? Was it Washington, Florida State, or NC State? North Carolina State, that is. If my memory serves me correct, I believe it's Washington. All right, Troy. Colin is going to get Randy. Troy, do you feel positive? Do you feel like you did a good job? I think I did. I think I did. I hope I did. I hope I did. I love that positivity. We shall wait and see. We shall. shall. You're right, Troy. All right. Randy is getting (laughs) settled. Randy, when you get your headphones on, say hello again to Troy. You're familiar with him by now. I am familiar with yeah. Troy. Troy, good morning, sir. How you doing? Good. All right, Randy. How you doing, my friend? Doing great. Thanks. Good uh, to have yeah. you with us. Good luck today. Yes. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you, too. All right. You too. Randy, this is a Hall of Fame fight. It is. Troy's yes. immortality as a character and small listener is on the line. All right. <laughs> Question number one. On this day in 1959, Bob Gibson threw the first complete game of his career. How oh. many complete games did he throw in his career? I was not around, by the way. For his first complete game. Um, How many did he throw in his entire career? In his entire career, complete games. He had, this is a remarkable statistic. He had 251 wins. 251 wins, but 255 complete games. I had to look that up because that is an outrageous statistic. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. Yeah. And the uh, throwing 304 innings in regular seasons and stuff. Crazy. Crazy. Even more outrageous that Randy knows it off the top of his head. Right, of course. Question number two, Randy. On this day in 2012, the Cardinals drafted Michael Waka 19th overall in the MLB draft. Where was Michael Waka born? Which state was he born in? I believe he's a native of Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. Randy, Tony LaRusso played in six major league seasons with three different teams. Which team did he end his major league playing career with? I think he might have had a game with the hated Cubs. I think he played a little for Atlanta. But I I think he ended, I think we talked about this before, that that, uh, he ended with the Cubbies. And question number four, we had a nice little Wisconsin discussion yesterday. Where did Russell Wilson attend college before transferring to Wisconsin for his final season of college football? North Carolina State. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Troy, it was a great run. I'm sorry, but Randy beat yeah, you four yeah. to one. Let's run through the answers oh, wow. here. Bob Gibson did okay. throw 255 complete games. Randy was right. He had more complete games than career wins, which was 251. Michael Walker was okay. born in Iowa. He moved to Texas at three years old. Tony Larusa okay. ended his major league playing career with the hated Cubs. He appeared in one game for the Cubs in 1973. And before okay. Russell Wilson went to Wisconsin, he did play for the Wolfpack of North Carolina State from 2008 until 2010. Troy. Troy, great run. Thank you so much for playing. Uh, Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Randy. Troy, thank you very much, and we appreciate you listening and being a part of the Carriker and Smallman family. uh, (laughs) All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care, Troy. Troy with us on 101 ESPN. He might not be in in the Fight Hall of Fame, but he is in our hearts as a Hall of Famer. Yeah, number one in our hearts. Number one always in our hearts. So, Michelle, in these uh, uncertain and uh, unpredictable times, I have a question for you. And I know that you have a lot of friends that have... 
young kids, and my kids were young at one time, mm-hmm. if those kids refuse to take a nap, are they guilty of refusing or resisting arrest? <laughs> Thanks for the dad joke, character. Every day. Just wondering. But actually, the answer is yes. <laughs> they are. They're resisting arrest. They are. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk to Matt Weiner a little bit later. Matt is a native of St. Louis, worked at Channel 5 for a time. Uh, you got your start kind of at Channel 5, right? It was my very first job out of college. How about that? Production assistant, morning shift, Tizzle. So you have worked mornings oh, a lot. Yeah. This is my third morning stint. And after that first one, I said I would never do it again as long as I live. So we, I would think. And then two, I now have done two more. But for that, you're getting up really stupidly early, right? Oh, my gosh. I had to be there at 430 in the morning. And I was living on the ill side. I think my alarm went off at like 245. And then I would drive over there in the dark, mm-hmm. work Tissel. 4 a.m. until 2 p.m. And then I wanted to work in sports so badly that I would hang out there until basically 6. I would loiter in the sports office and I would write questions for Renny Nod or beg Frank Cusimano. I would say, let me write your teases for the upcoming sports uh-huh. guy. I would follow them to the ballpark. Just anything that I could do. So yeah, a, uh, not a lot of sleep going on early for your girl post-college. No. It's interesting, though, that you bring that up because when I first got started as an intern, what I would do was write Sports casts for the nighttime sportscaster nice. at KMOX. Things that you weren't asked to do, but you, you do them anyway. Uh-huh. And that's how you move along in any walk of life is yeah. to display a work ethic. Well, it, it paid off because I basically hung around so much they got so annoyed with me. They're like, let's give her some stuff to do. <laughs> you know, and I had interned there, so I was familiar right. with them. It's not like I was just popping in all the time, but I'm sure they would have been receptive if I was. But um, yeah, then I started when they started HighSchoolSports.net. They needed people to shoot, edit, and put together some high school sports packages and I was like I am here I'm already on the payroll I will do it let me do it and so that kind of uh, started the ball rolling for a lot of different things for me so I have uh I have no sympathy now after you did that <laughs> for you uh, getting up and getting in here early. No. This, is, this should be a breeze. I'm telling you the third time's a charm because this has been cake. Now again oh. Oh, go ahead. Today is one month of Carriker and Smallman. Happy we start, anniversary, yeah, Randy. Same to you. Oh we gosh. started on May 4th, and now we're on June 4th. Uh, which is crazy. Time flies when you're having fun. It does. And, but it'll be a little different for us, I think, coming in early once games start again. Yeah. You're staying up late. And especially if it's a, an exciting game, you're all hopped up on a drone. We're going to be missing sports so much when it returns. It's going to be hard to shut that off Never and fall asleep. Have to sleep. No, it's all right. We'll just be riding high on sports when we come in 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 the mornings. Our buddy Matt Weiner joins us to talk NBA next on 101 ESPN. ESPN. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our friend Matt Weiner of NBA TV and Turner Sports kind enough to join us this morning on 101 ESPN. Matthew, of course, uh, one of the legends produced by the Hazelwood West Athletic Program and uh, a great St. Louis. Matthew, good to have you with us. How are you, sir? (laughs) So far, so good. I'm chuckling, A, A, at the fact that you referred to me as a legend. (laughs) <laughs> B, that I was somehow produced by the Hazelwood West Athletic Program oh, well. is is pretty spectacular. You're, you're a sports guy, right? 
I, I am. I was a terrible high school basketball player there. I, I don't know that the athletic program can take a lot of credit for anything I've done since. Hey, uh, you have to be excited, and the owners are going to vote at 11.30 this morning. And uh, Woj, obviously, he's the best insider there is, says that there's going to be a 22-team tournament. But just from the standpoint of being able to do your job, you got to be pretty excited about <laughs> the fact that the NBA is coming back in July, right? I have done all the power washing I can possibly do. <laughs> I, I'm ready to talk about NBA games that matter again. So, yeah, it is exciting. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what the games are going to look like. I don't know what the coverage is going to look like. I don't know where I will be covering things from. Um, will it be in Orlando? Will it be in a studio away from other people here in Atlanta? Will it be in my bedroom as I've, as I've been the last, whatever it's been now, two months? Um, there's so many unanswered questions. But, uh, yeah, it's exciting that we're going to actually play again. Matt, as we sit here in St. Louis, desperate for sports to come back, we've been focusing a lot on the, the squabbling and dissent between Major League Baseball owners and Players Association. And while it's a, a different comparison to make, it just seems like the NBA did a lot of these discussions in a collaborative and cohesive manner, which is really positive to see. And that's why it's kind of not surprising, I think, for a lot of people that the NBA would be the first team to confirm concretely that they're going to come back. But what is it about the way Adam Silver approaches these negotiations or really any issue, whether it's with the owners or the players or just the sport of basketball in general that leads so many people to to trust him? Well, I think first and foremost, he listens. Um, he, he's, you know, he's cultivated a relationship with Michelle Roberts, who leads the players union. He's cultivated relationships with the likes of Chris Paul, who's the president of the players union, um, and his predecessors. You know, he, he has those relationships. He includes players in major NBA decisions. You know, he's the final decision maker on most things, but he listens to, to all the stakeholders involved. Um, you know, David Stern, his predecessor, could be very tough in a negotiating setting, but he, he paved the way in that regard by including players in decisions and in discussions because it affects them and they're, they're the face of the league. It, it makes perfect sense from a business standpoint. And when you look at some of the other leagues and the acrimony between uh, the commissioner's office and the players' unions, and not just about money stuff, there's always going to be disagreements about that, but on, on other topics, it just doesn't make any sense to not be on the same page. And that, that to me, is what he's done better than, than any commissioner currently holding those jobs. Matt Weiner is with us. He, of course, covers the NBA for Turner Sports, and he's with NBA TV. And Matt, almost inevitably, when we get to the NBA playoffs, the two best teams wind up playing for the championship. You've watched a lot of basketball. Do you think that still applies in this sort of environment? Will it be the Lakers and whoever the East has to offer, whether it's the Celtics or uh, one of the top te- or Toronto? Or will it be, is there a, a chance for this to be more like March Madness, where uh, a team that we don't expect to come out on top does? Well, I think the fact that apparently they're going to have seven-game series for every round of the playoffs probably takes the March Madness scenario out of play for the most part. I mean, that's the beauty of March Madness. It's a one-and-done scenario. And there have been lots of examples where, um, you know, higher-seeded teams have lost game one of a playoff series in a one-eight seed sort of series 
but very rarely does that eight seed, you know, come back. Um, so I, I, I think you're going to have the best teams when it's all said and done. But, you know, factor in the fact that there really is no home court advantage for anybody in this setting. Uh, or, you know, arguably, I guess the Orlando Magic might theoretically have some, some home court advantage, but there are no fans there. There's nobody there cheering for them. So that kind of takes that out of play. I suppose that does level the playing field a little more. But because of the seven-game series, it's so hard to pull a major upset in that scenario because teams scout the heck out of each other. They know every tendency. There are no secrets. And it's very difficult to, to pull off something that the, the better team didn't see coming and win four games. Michelle and I were talking during the break about one team that intrigues us, and that's New Orleans, because Zion was still coming back from the knee surgery and was yeah. rounding into shape. If he has maintained conditioning, they even if they don't win, they'll be an interesting team. They'll be great for you guys on TV. Sure, and that, that was one of the, uh, the many theories about what the league wanted to do when they were putting this together was to keep the Pelicans in play, frankly, to keep Zion on television sets because he's, you know, he's riveting. Um, it, it's fascinating to watch him play. And if you look at their on-off-court numbers, they're pretty great when he's on the floor. They can't play him the entire game, um, but they're a different team when he's on the floor. His presence, his gravity just changes things for the Pelicans. They're not a great team. Um, they've, they've kind of been four or five different teams over the course of the year because of injuries and because of, of bringing him back into the fold. But they're one of the teams that has a shot now at this eight seed if they can catch Memphis, along with Portland, who, remember, will have two members of their starting lineup back when they come back, presumably because Yusuf Nurkic, who suffered a, a horrible uh, broken leg last, I think it was last March, should be ready to play now. He's their starting center, and Zach Collins has missed most of the season with an injury. They should have both those players back. Remember, this was a Western Conference Finals team last year, and they've got a shot to make the playoffs now. The, the possibilities because of this little sprint to the finish and potential playoff or a play-in scenario for the eighth seed are just all over the place. Man, I know we're so excited about the NBA returning, so we're focusing on the teams that we will see in this new format, but the teams that are going to be left out of the Orlando Orlando format. I know that this, there's been talk about how that's going to affect them both financially, competitively, in a lot of different ways. And I know there's been dialogue about how to maybe bridge that gap a little bit. But if you're one of the teams that isn't going to be featured in this Orlando format, you have to have some concerns. For sure. And, it, and it's different for all the different teams. You know, the Warriors, Steve Kerr was, was pretty public about the fact that he, he just didn't want to come back. There was no point for them. But they're in a very different situation than, say, the Hawks here in Atlanta, where I live. The Hawks are the youngest team in the league. Uh, they want games. They want their players out there getting reps, getting minutes. And that, that has gone away. They had, I think, 15 games left in the regular season. They want those if they can get them. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised that there's some sort of accommodation for these teams to have some sort of late summer or fall camp or to have some sort of exhibition games or something to get people back on the floor and playing again because otherwise you're looking at potentially nine months between games. That's a really, really long time. Um, and you don't want players not playing. You risk injury that way. Um, you know, beyond rust and development, there's a much greater chance of injury if you're ramping up after that long of a layoff. 
Matt, uh, we can't do an NBA conversation because we're contractually obligated to do so <laughs> to talk about LeBron James in of the playoffs. Course. And obviously they were the favorites heading into the playoffs. If we would have played the regular season, I think LeBron AD would have been the favorites. But LeBron is getting older. We all are getting older, but he's getting older as an athlete. Is Based on what you saw this year, is there any reason to believe there's any decline on the way for LeBron James? Well, it's going to happen. Um, you know, I think there are, are snapshots where maybe you see a little decline. Not a lot, though, for a guy of 35. And remember, last season he became the oldest player in league history to lead the league in minutes. He has done an incredible job of taking care of himself, and his durability has been phenomenal. You know, he he's still good enough to lead a team to a championship. I don't think there's any question about that. Age will catch up with him sooner or later because it always does. But, you know, he, he's good enough right now. I think for me the bigger question is, are the Lakers good enough? And I, and I know they're the favorites for a lot of people, but Milwaukee's awfully good coming out of the East. And the L.A. Clippers, to me, I, they were the team to beat going into the season. And you could you could argue that based on, on results and what you've seen on the floor, you might prefer the Lakers. But for me, with the Lakers... The Clippers have enough good defenders, I mean, up and down the roster, beyond Kawhi Leonard, beyond Paul George. They are a really good defensive team filled with great individual defenders. They can throw some people at LeBron and at Anthony Davis. They're not going to stop them, obviously, but they could throw some people at them. And I do wonder if there's a third shot creator score on that Laker team. Uh, to help them beat the Clippers in a seven-game series. And that's, you know, this is all theoretical stuff. That's why we, we want to see that series happen. No doubt. Matt, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Can't wait to see you on TV and doing the NBA in uh, July or August. I can't wait to be talking about games that matter, for sure. Be great. Uh, thanks for having me. Stay safe, you guys. All right, we'll talk to you soon. See you later. Okay. That is Matt Weiner, formerly of Channel 5, and, of course, now on TNT and NBA TV, joining us. On Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Major League Baseball has rejected the Players Association's latest proposal. So where do they go from here? That's next on 101 ESPN. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.